Are you doing everything you can to shore up your supply chain against disruption and disaster? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Every company is concerned about supply chain risk, but it's tough to quantify the issue. How prepared are you to withstand a tsunami, a flood, political upheaval, or even an erupting volcano in major sourcing countries? Something bad is always bound to happen, but there's no telling what, when, and where. Wouldn't it be valuable to know how you stack up against other companies in the risk management department and what you should be doing to toughen up your operation? Now there's a new Global Resilience Index from FM Global, a commercial and industrial property insurer. FM Global has combined its internal knowledge of key risk factors with outside threats and come up with nine drivers of resiliency. My guest today, FM Global Executive Vice President John Hall, explains the rationale behind the index, leads us through these drivers, and talks about some of the countries that ranked highest and lowest on the list. So here is my conversation with John Hall. John Hall, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. It's nice to be here. So tell me a little bit about the new Supply Chain Resilience Index of FM Global. Um, how was it developed, and how does it differ from previous efforts to assess risk in the supply chain? Well, the, uh, the new index, the new FM Global uh, Resilience Index, was really developed as a, a data-driven uh, tool. Uh, we looked at the understanding that we have of risk. We had looked at the challenges that our clients have with dealing with risk and uh, specifically in their supply chain and uh, wanting to become more resilient. And we, uh, we said, let's see what we can find for factors that will correlate and make for a powerful uh, tool for our clients to use or anybody really to use uh, to help them manage risk. What we find is that when our clients understand the hazard, they make good decisions. And the challenge uh, always is is for people to understand what is the risk they face, what are the challenges that they truly face. And once they understand those, most people in life and in business make good decisions. So the, the purpose of the index is to help people understand where exposures are, where risks are, and uh, with those kind of uh, with that information, make good decisions. Did you feel you're bringing to the table a unique perspective based on your uh, identity as a uh, property insurer? Do you think that gives you a different perspective than others might have had in developing similar efforts in the past? Uh, we do uh, believe that uh, the unique business model of FM Global really is one of the powerful pieces of this. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we employ uh, about 1,500 engineers around the world uh, inspecting uh, over 100,000 uh, commercial uh, properties on a regular basis, and uh, with that, uh, we gain a very deep understanding. You know, in a typical facility, we might develop uh, four or five hundred, maybe even a thousand, on a very large um, uh, facility data points 
So we get a very intricate knowledge of understanding of, of the facilities that we insure. So we felt we had a lot to bring to the table in the, in the area of, uh, of resiliency to uh, natural hazard exposures, uh, to fire exposures, quality of construction, how well the facility's made versus a, a code uh, uh, constructed, I should say. So we thought we could bring a lot from our area and then mix that with other things that are available in the marketplace. And that's when we got into looking at economic data, um, you know, like political risk and uh, oil intensity, GDP, um, and supply chain things, control of uh, corruption, uh, the quality of the infrastructure. So. We started looking for correlations, and we started out with about, I think, 38 different data points that we we're working on and studying. And then we, uh, over time, worked it down and found these nine data points that we're using are uh, the nine drivers are really the most correlated that uh, really help you get to the right place in understanding uh, an individual country's resiliency. So you start with the internal intelligence you already have that is basically facility-oriented and property-oriented, and then you go out beyond that. So what, what is, how, how much of the stuff comes, in, comes from your internal expertise versus what you reach out for externally, you know, percentage-wise, can you say? Well, it's roughly, you know, if you look at each um, um, driver as, a, as an individual equal part, we offer up uh, one-third, so to speak, three of the nine. Drivers are directly from FM Global's knowledge and information. At any one point, a client may say, well, this particular driver is more important to me. So they may individually decide that they want to put a lot more emphasis on one particular driver. And, and that's okay, too, I think. Uh, the drivers are all laid out. They're all you know, transparent as, as far as what they came out to. So if an individual uh, corporation uh, thinks that political risk is the most important uh, business factor to them, they can certainly concentrate on that driver for them. You know, for most people, infrastructure, control of corruption, and then certainly natural hazards, uh, exposure to wind. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're, list- you're, you're listing okay. some of them. You're listing some of them now. Let's let me ask you just formally to like name what are those nine business drivers. Well, the economic factors are GDP per capita, political risk, and oil intensity. The risk quality are exposure to natural hazards, the quality of natural hazard risk management, and then the quality of fire risk management. Supply chain is uh, factors are con- control of corruption, infrastructure, and local supplier quality. So you really, that, that's covering a very broad range of just about every conceivable yeah. risk that affects supply chains today. Yeah, well, we felt so. We thought it was very comprehensive and, uh, again, makes it a very nice tool for uh, consideration. And, you know, but I may be able to offer up a little bit how somebody might use this uh, if you want me to. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to get to that, but first, I just want a little, little okay. bit more to, to kind of pave the way for us to talk about the content okay. of it. How long did it take for you to put this together? In excess of a year, I'd say about 15 months, mm-hmm. and uh, and then verified through multiple years of data. So we didn't want to just run it for uh, one year only, and then we uh, we went back and ran and developed three years of data. But it was about a 15 month effort. And you called it a beta-driven tool. So does that mean that it's still a work in progress, or what did you mean by that? Well, it's data-driven, and it 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 uh, it's based on a lot of factual information 
that is available to everybody. Uh, that is available out in the, uh, I was going to say in the marketplace, but it's probably not the right word. It's a tool that has been developed on the best available data that we think correlates right now. And I think over time, if we found other correlations that made sense, that we'd be open to modifying the tool and improving it. And I think everything, as we look at you know analytics today and, and uh, big data and everything, as uh, more information comes available that we could correlate with it, uh, we'd certainly be open to trying to make it even better and more powerful. Do you believe that risk in those nine categories is getting worse or is more intense today in any of those than it has been in the past? I think it changes uh, every day uh, and by country, so to speak. So certainly, uh, you know, a country that uh, may have looked as being a fairly stable country 12 months ago today is uh, of concern. And the Ukraine might be a country that's a good example of that where, you know, you're fairly uh, not the greatest of economies and, and whatever, but not considered a uh, an unstable place. And certainly today you'd look at it and say, wow, uh, a bit different than it was six months ago. So everything changes. You probably yeah. launched this with some preconceptions, some understanding of, uh, of what you might find. Were there any surprises that arose when you finally got through it and came up with the results? I think certainly that Norway came out as the number one country um, was a surprise. And not once you look back at it and you look at the facts, but I think if we had taken uh, a list of 25 countries and we sat it on the table and, uh, and Norway was in there and we were all looking at it, you and I and others, and you know, there's various you know, U.S. and Canada and all these European countries, uh, would we have picked Norway as the number one? And my guess is not many would have. So a bit of a surprise there. But then again, as you start really looking at Norway, you say, well, it makes sense. It's just it wasn't intuitive. Uh, on the flip side, uh, on some of the uh, the countries kind of at the bottom of the list, I think there was probably, I don't know that I want to say less surprise, but it was more predictable. And I think it's more a, um, a developing economy, developing country kind of issue. And uh, uh, it's, it, they're you know, countries that are challenged from a, uh, an economic standpoint. And uh, therefore, when you're challenged economically, it's hard to have great infrastructure, great reliability, and other things, too. So it kind of correlated. You know, I think uh, Korea being kind of in the middle of the pack would might have been a surprise to people. Um, they were number 69, if I remember right. And, you know, a very modern economy, a very aggressive economy, uh, great business people, you know, a modern economy. But again, as you wait... Uh, very significant exposures to natural hazards and and, uh, and some other issues. You know, it didn't come out as high, maybe quite as high as somebody would have guessed there. Just to be clear, uh, the the countries at the top of the list are the most resilient to supply chain disruption, and as you go down the list, they are less resilient. Correct. That's that, the, that is correct. Right. That is correct. And I understand right. the U.S. kind of comes up in the top twenty-five in all three other uh, regions of the index. Is that right? That is correct, yes. And what about China? And China is changing these days. I'm wondering, uh, where does that fall in the, uh, in, in, in the index? Uh, China was in the 60s, if I remember. Let me just look here quick. Uh, China Region 2 was 61. China Region 3 was 66. And China Region 1 was 75. So no, no. Uh, mid, you know, the mid 
kind of in the middle. That's about um, ha- yeah, about halfway down. I'm just wondering if if if, if that is a, a constant type of ranking, or if China is getting worse for any reason, uh, or or w- what direction that's going. Do you have an, do you have a sense of that? So China Reason One stayed the same as 2013. It, China Region Three dropped a couple places. China Region Two actually went up a couple. So. A little bit of everything. One stayed the same. One went up two spots. One uh, region went down two spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a, a China standpoint, um, you know, there's very significant issues with uh, natural hazards, obviously. And uh, I think you, you, you think about it. Uh, you know, the earthquakes have been very troubling over there and a lot of collapsed buildings. So the building codes need to be strengthened, uh, the quality construction. East coast of China, very exposed to uh, uh, typhoons and Tropical type of weather, uh, the Pearl River Delta, uh, very exposed to flooding. So a lot of cha- challenges in the um, from a natural hazard standpoint in China. It's a very much a natural hazard exposed uh, country. Now, out of those nine drivers, are there any you think that companies in general, do you get a sense that they are more or less cognizant of those particular drivers? Are there some that, they, that they're really kind of under the radar and they're not paying as much atten- attention to as perhaps they should? Well, I think uh, the oil intensity may be one that uh, might not be as much a, you know, I think you got to be careful with what industry you're in, right, and what business you're in. But, you know, I would think oil intensity might be one that isn't considered quite as uh, greatly as maybe other factors. And certainly local supplier quality. And I thought that was a very interesting one that uh, we got information on. World Economic Forum provides a forum on local supplier quality, which is, again, very critical if you're running a business in a country, is what is the quality of the ability to get your supplies, your your labor, and all the other things that you uh, that you need to run your business effectively. One of the things I find interesting about these nine is that most of them are essentially out of the control of companies. They're either natural disasters or they're local economic conditions over which a company has very little or no control. But there are a couple of points in there that seem like they do fall within a company's control. You talk about, in two instances, quality of risk management. Is that what that is? Is that a ranking of the actual company's ability or quality to manage risk? Or is that also an external driver. That's exactly what it is. Now, those are those are within the uh, the grasp of an individual organization. You know, as we talk about quality of, of fire risk management, that's based on our risk mark uh, benchmarking tool, a lot of that. And that is, you know, do people put in uh, adequate uh, fire sprinklers? Do they have adequate uh, protection um, available in their own facility? Mm-hmm. The quality of natural hazard risk management is have they hardened that building? Have they made sure that that roof will stay on top uh, in, a, in a major hurricane uh, will stay on the building? Well, have they done the right things uh, to properly protect their building? So those two are clearly in the control of the individual company. And, and what we find is you know, if you have lax uh, building codes, people will get kind of mesmerized by this. Well, I built it to code. Well, built codes, first of all, start out with life safety. And the number one kind of goal of a code is to get people safely out of a building. They have less to do with keeping a building hardened against a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that. So those type of factors are clearly individually uh, in the individual responsibility of a company. 
So you do, you definitely get into kind of the physical structure of the facilities and the like. Do you also at any point get into labor practices within buildings within countries and, and the degree to which that creates supply chain risk because, because poor working conditions could cause negative brand awareness or for that matter could even more seriously cause harm to, uh, to workers? That wasn't specifically addressed as part of this. But I think that comes out in a couple of the factors. I think in GDP per capita, you're looking at uh, typically probably education levels. You're probably looking at uh, you know people that are uh, economically uh, uh, you know the, the better off you are economically typically typically the better uh, educated you are, the more aware you are of safety and uh, the more demanding of those type of things. So I think that factor would come in. I think uh, control of corruption is a factor that would play into that. So I think there's uh, local supplier quality. So I think there's several factors that could kind of play into uh, that that are, are reflected in the uh, in the index. Now, you're making this index available to industry at no cost, as I understand it. Right. Tell me, sure. how how should companies make use of this, of this resource? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing. You know, we talked about that. We said, okay, so once we put this out there, what's, what's it going to accomplish? The way I would look at this is if I was running a business and I looked at a particular uh, product line uh, and I said, boy, that's my key product line. That's my money maker. That's the, the, uh, the growth driver of my, uh, of my corporation. Uh, and I now look at the, uh, the resilience index and I look at it and say, wow, I'm in a bottom 25, uh, you know, bottom quartile of the, uh, the resiliency index. That's a red flag for me. I'm looking at this saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got my, my chief revenue generator, my chief profit generator in a bottom quartile uh, resiliency country. So what should I do? Well, I should look at the facts. And if it's natural hazard-driven or fire-driven, uh, then I should it's under my control. I should do the things I need to do to harden my building, uh, to properly uh, uh, ensure it's, uh, it's protected against the, the risk of fire uh, and things. Or I may be looking and saying, you know, I need to, uh, I need to get a second supply, uh, a, uh, you know, a second arrangement for this particular business. And I would say you should be looking in a top quartile group of countries for your, uh, your alternate. Just to pick on the U.S. a little bit, uh, you know, if you have uh, your most critical product is located in Los Angeles, California, do you really want to build your backup plant? to it in Los Angeles, California, or do you think to yourself, well, maybe I should get it out of an earthquake zone and get it uh, someplace else that's not subject to that same event? Likewise for a country, uh, you know, if I'm in a, a heavily uh, flood-prone area or maybe typhoon-exposed uh, country, then I want to be looking for a, uh, an alternate facility site that's not got those type of qualities that's much safer. So I think it, it helps uh, on the most basic and start get you to ask questions, and I think that's what the power of this will be. Uh, let's start talking about these nine uh, factors, uh, these nine drivers of resiliency, and looking at our facilities and make business decisions. Uh, saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a facility that's uh, exposed in um, in five of these nine factors are, are unfavorable, but maybe I want to look for an alternate supply situation, uh, an alternate distribution situation or whatever that puts me into a more resilient country. 
you would like to think that companies were already thinking that way and they wouldn't need an index to tell them that they not, you know, don't want to put all their eggs in one basket in a dangerous area. But I guess that's not always the case, is it? It seems like so many companies kind of live from disaster to disaster and don't really think that far ahead and don't think as deeply as this index is inviting them to do. The great example probably is uh, Japan. Uh, Japan had a very significant uh, earthquake and tsunami. And then we came to find out, um, was it a year or two later, uh, that they had sourced their backup facilities in Thailand. And then Thailand had massive flooding. And next thing we knew, we had significant damage in Japan, and their backup facilities were uh, elected to be Thailand and, and uh, all sitting in flood zones. Uh, there's some you know, very significant um, documentation of the kind of business interruption that caused uh, many, many large corporations. This index would have shown Japan and Thailand both as kind of red flag countries of let's really think about what we're doing here and the decisions we're making because neither of these countries are a, 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 a top quartile country. Uh, when I say that, Japan's close, but on risk quality, because of the natural hazards, it rates 128, so at the very bottom of the list, just about from a uh, natural hazard standpoint. And then Thailand ranks number 62, so no, even, you know, their main business, main business was backed up by a country that was far lower in quality um, uh, from a resilience standpoint than uh, their main country. Even worse than that, following the uh, the uh, tsunami and the earthquake, uh, you know, in, in Japan, you hear companies saying, oh, yes, we definitely dis diversified our supplier base. We had several different suppliers in Japan. I mean, yeah. You know, th that was their idea oh, of diversifying was to have more than one supplier in the same country. Right. So um, right. you, look at, you look at Japan and the favorableness of the economic and supply chain scores are dramatically, you know, just stand out really when you see 128 out of 30 on risk quality. Yeah. Um, so a big red flag on Japan that you need to really manage your business very carefully from the natural hazards and fire risk quality standpoint. Uh, and again, you can be in that country, you just need to, you need to manage your risk that way. And that's hopefully what this index will help you to do is say, okay, have we hardened our facilities? Have we taken the steps that we need to take to minimize uh, anything that may happen if something goes bad. Now, clearly, the index has not been out there long enough for you to assess the response to it on right. a global basis. But I'm just wondering if you get a sense that companies are indeed waking up to the need for uh, increasing resilience in their supply chains, or, as I s suggested, are they still kind of dreaming and living from disaster to disaster? What's your take on the general sense of awareness or lack thereof? If I look at our, our clients... Uh, we've got about 2,000 major organizations, major businesses that uh, we do business with. I feel pretty good that they have a, a nice awareness. And a lot of that, I hope, comes from uh, working with FN Global and, uh, and their you know, risk management philosophy that they have to uh, uh, you know, really minimize risk and prevent losses versus accept losses. And I think that's the important thing is that, uh, and, and we see this all the time, Bob, is that when we can get to the right people and we can talk to them and we can say, look, this is what the, these are the, the hazards you should understand and these are the exposures to your business, most of them go, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And uh, you know what, I'm going to do something about that. So there's, there's a lot less true understanding of risk uh, than uh, 
than what you might, those of us in the business, uh, see. And I think there's this, this eternal optimism, you know, kind of personality, right? That, well, bad things will never happen to me. It'll always happen to the other guy. Uh, and it's a natural kind of state that, you know, most people are optimists and they kind of just want to believe that bad things happen to others, not to them. And uh, corporations need to you know, just, again, uh, make sure they don't fall into that trap and that they are very aware of what could happen and then make the decisions based on that. And we find, for the most part, that companies do that. And, and a lot of it is helping them understand risk. And once you've done that, companies make good decisions. And helping them understand a higher-level approach to it. It's not like you're you're planning for a specific type of natural disaster, like you spend all this time getting ready for an earthquake, and then suddenly there's a volcano eruption. It seems to yeah. me like you have to do it at a higher level. It would apply to no matter what type of disaster. You have a certain level of resilience in your supply chain that re- can respond no matter what. And a lot of it is to understand truly uh, what we have a we have a business that's part of our overall services to our clients, which is uh, our business risk consulting group, and they're forensic accountants, and their their role is to help companies really monetize and understand the flow of money and how much money could be actually. Uh, you know, your Achilles heel, that one plant that seems like a small plant, you know, you just never realize that if you lose the part that it makes, it shuts down your whole your whole supply chain. What we found is when we help companies really think through and, and, and follow the money, you find these pinch points and uh, a lot of times they're revelations. And, uh, and again, it's not the companies are doing the wrong thing. It's just that that wasn't the focus of their business at all the time. And uh, once they see things, they typically then, again, make good decisions. So uh, we work hard to help our clients follow the money, make sure they understand where the pinch points are in their supply chain, where the big dollars could be lost, and uh, and then take and then help and advise them on what they can do uh, from our standpoint to harden their facilities and improve the risk uh, on the, you know, what we call the risk quality factors. So this is going to be an annual initiative, is it? It is. Yes, it is. We feel as though, uh, it, you know, things will change. Uh, and we feel like an annual is a, uh, an appropriate amount of time uh, because, I mean, you know, again, any one day you can say, wow, this country's in trouble right now today. But that could be a six-week or a, a three-month issue. And you can't just pull your bill in your facility out of a country, you know, in, in two weeks' time and bring it back in six weeks' time. So, no, I think it's important to watch trends. What are the countries that are improving? What are the countries that may be deteriorating in, in the uh, in the index? And uh, look for overall long-term trends, uh, especially in the emerging uh, economy area of where there may be some uh, jewels uh, that are actually countries that are doing very nicely and building a uh, a very good environment to do business in. And this uh, hopefully the resilience index will help people kind of understand where there might be some opportunities for locating business also. But we feel it, it should be an annual index and that uh, the importance is to kind of understand where the exposures are and then watch the trends. Sounds like it's going to be an extremely valuable tool for companies looking to increase their risk management uh, resiliency. The FM Global Resilience Index for 2014 and going forward, uh, we will link to it in our show notes. Uh, in the meantime, though, John Hall, I want to thank you so much for uh, introducing us to the index and telling us a little bit about uh, supply chain resilience today. Thanks for being with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on.
That was my conversation with John Hall of FM Global. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. And big news, we're now available on iTunes. Just search for Supply Chain Brain. See you next time.